Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. I'm Bob Hyatt, and with me is uh, our esteemed co-host. Uh, I guess actually, technically I'm the co-host and you're the host. I don't know how it works, but Doug Moister, how are uh, you? Bob, I, I appreciate the, the kind words, and I don't know. It's I don't know if I'm the, the co-host or the host either. I think we just co-host this thing together, so we'll, we'll, we'll call yeah, that. Right. I'm good. Uh, yeah. I um just been in enjoying uh life these last few weeks. It's been a little weird. My son's off to college and so my house has felt a little uh less uh rambunctious and I'm now outnumbered. Uh my wife and my daughter have been sort of running running the place pretty tip top and I feel like I'm sort of confined to the back corner of my basement at this point in time. yeah we had our oldest son who is uh 19 he moved out earlier this year and uh, moved into an apartment with some friends and that was great we felt like all right we launched one yay (laughs) now he's getting ready to come back um and so it's like oh that didn't last very long um yeah, he's going to do some schooling and mm. and while he's doing that he's going to move back in, which is great, but it's also a bummer on a number of levels. One is that I moved my office from uh what is the house's dining room or meant to be up to uh this bedroom and I'm going to have to give that up. So, mm. okay, all right. But the big thing is our food bill is getting ready to double again and <laughs> It's nice. He's he's easing us into it because lately, like uh, one of the roommates moved out and the other one just hasn't been around. It's been spending a lot of time with somebody else in in Nampa, like a half hour away. So he's basically there all by himself. And he's, he's a little lonely uh, and money's tight. So he just comes here to eat <laughs> right now. He's just he's just started showing up around dinner time <laughs> all the time. Oh my god! <laughs> and yeah, our food bill had gone down by half. Are you serious? Out. Yes, wow. yes. Teen boys, man. Oh. The, the the metabolism is just insane. Uh, so yeah, we're getting ready to to pay more uh, for food and to be a little more crowded again. Yeah. But, that it's it'll be nice to have him back around for a bit. Yeah, I I can understand that. It's we're <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what my how much my food bill has gone down. I do like a monthly budget, and so August is not the right time to tell because he left like you know eighteen yeah. seventeen eighteen days in August. But I'm excited to see September finish and be like, man, look at this. I'll be able to sponsor children like all over the world. Like who knows <laughs> what things are going to open awesome. up to me now that That's we're feeding awesome. one less Caleb in our house. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll look forward to the, uh, the, the budget analysis later yeah. on the, on the over under of like, 30, 40%. I'm going to take the over. You're going to go over. Uh, I'm going to say it'll, it'll be like over 40%. <laughs> I'll bet. Oh, well, yeah. yeah I, that, I, I'm anticipating it's probably going to be, cause like even when we go grocery shopping, you know, a couple months ago, it's like, well, we'll have to get this for Caleb and well, Caleb might get hungry. So we'll get this snack for him where now it's like, none of us really eat all that much. <laughs> it's like, we have yeah. like three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Caleb would have breakfast and second breakfast and lunch and then dinner. Yeah, it was a hobby. And then there was like four <laughs> dinners after dinner where it was like. Elevensies. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, today's conversation, I know that uh, you had an interview with Tom Rainer that that I wasn't able to, to be on. So I'm I'm interested in hearing this mainly because of uh, I, I know he's got a lot of stuff going on and and uh, influential voice out there in Christendom. But uh, I was I was fascinated with his connection to I believe he ran, did he run the Lifeway division for the Southern Baptists? I he think did. Christian bookstores to me are just a, a an endless source of fascination. And I am so sad that, that, that in these days of diminishing bookstores everywhere, you know, just because of Amazon, but like there really isn't that Christian bookstore around the corner anymore. Mm. Uh, cause I used to love Christian bookstores, man. I used to, even though, uh, you'd go in with a little bit of sense of like, oh man, what kind of crazy stuff am I going to see today? Yeah. You know, I, am I going to see the Testaments? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of Christian kitschy stuff? Wait, but Bob, I, I think you should explain you, Testaments really quick because some of our younger readers are like, what is he talking about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Testaments were like Christian breath mints <laughs> and I, I think that's all they were. I think so. They were just mints with like a verse on the outside of the package or something. Yes. Testaments. Testaments. Like, I don't know who came up with that brilliant marketing, but uh, it, it worked, you know, yeah. they were, they were funny. But um, I, I, you know, now if I go into Barnes and Noble, I, I almost, I, I want to look in the, in the kind of the religious section, but it's so broad and there's so many Joel Osteen books and, you know, it's like, there's, there's a few really good titles among just a, uh, just a flood of like, why would anybody want to read that? Just kind of self-help, self-improvement with a, with a Christian sheen on it. I miss the days when you could walk into a Christian bookstore and depending on what kind of bookstore it was, you'd know that, that there's going to be some, some good stuff there. You're going to actually see some good titles that you, you might not have been exposed to otherwise, yeah. you know, and uh, along with the, the Veggie Tales videos right. and the, the salty, the singing hymnal. Yes, dude. <laughs> kind of stuff. Do not. I, you know, we should see if we can get the original salty on the Monday morning pastor. I, I'll bet. Oh, I'll wow. bet that would be amazing. Um, no, you know who I want? Would be, uh, do you remember the Bible man character? Oh, yes. Yeah, of course. I, who yeah. wouldn't remember the Bible man character? Okay. He was the guy from- Charles uh, in Charge. There was a, a, Charles yeah. in Charge. Yeah. He was Charles's best friend. Scott Baio? And, no. Well, Scott Baio was Charles. Oh, okay. But, and, and also Chachi <laughs> from uh, Happy Days. But yeah, uh, I can't remember the guy. We'll have to look we'll that up. To. But yeah, he went on to become the Bible Man character. Yes. Now that would be a guess yes. for the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. Anyway, yeah, Christian bookstores, man, uh, they, they've kind of gone out of vogue. Mm. And, and I miss them because I don't think that little section in Barnes & Noble uh, quite fills the quite fills the the space in the in the ecosystem and agreed yeah uh can you think of like maybe your top two purchases in of all time in a christian bookstore i've got one oh, um i goodness. i had to do a a funeral for a family that was episcopalian and so i i said you know i just always asked the question this was early on in my ministry i said what do you want me to wear cuz i my, one of my one of my colleagues said you should always ask them what do you want me to wear which i'm like that's sort of a weird thing like we're not it's a funeral huh. i just figured black 
And they just said, yeah, you know, it'd be great if you wore your collar. And I thought, I don't, I don't have a collar. So I went to Cokesbury. You remember Cokesbury bookstores? I don't know. Yeah. United Methodist yep. kind of bookstore. Well, folks, yeah. if there's a Cokesbury near you and you need a collar, that is the place to go. Uh, so yeah, I picked up one. It's and the cool, it's the brand was called Fryer, which I thought, man, huh. I, I've always felt sort of akin to Fryer Tuck. I'm not sure why. Um, but it was, that was probably one of the best saves that I've ever had. Cause that was sort of pre Amazon moments. So it's not like I could just, oh, yeah. I could call somebody and probably place an order, but I'm not walking into, you know, uh, men's warehouse and, and finding a collar. Like it just, that that's not where we do these things. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that was the, that was the beauty of, of the, of the bookstore experience is that, yeah, you can get all this stuff on Amazon, but you're not going to stumble across. You're not going to have the, those, those moments when you find something you weren't expecting in the same way. Like, um, I used to love back in the days of, of the original days of vinyl Mm. before cassette, before CD, before vinyl came back, you could go to the Christian bookstore and find vinyl that you wouldn't find anywhere else. <laughs> Things uh, like Larry Norman. Oh, man. Um, there was a Christian, there were these albums. There was a group called Fire Sign Theater, and they were, they, it was Christian comedy, and it was good and it was edgy. And you, you'd get, they, they put out albums of it. And I love that. But yeah, in terms of, of, uh, best purchases. I think I would say two things. One in Portland, when I was in seminary, there was a bookstore called Pilgrims Mm. and they would sell used books. Um, so you could, because there were a number of Bible colleges and seminaries in town, you could go there and sell your, your books and they would buy them, or you could go and find used books. And that was, that was a great Saturday, Saturday afternoon, just kind of go browse, pick up some used books really cheap. I loved that place. I, I don't even know if it's still there because we moved away uh, a few years ago. I like to think that maybe it still exists, but who knows? But yeah, clerical collar, funny you should mention that <laughs> because um, when Lifeway was going out of business, there was one here in Boise and man, I was in there like every day during their last week as they were slashing and getting rid of stuff. And I picked up a clerical shirt, a dog collar. And I love that thing, man. It is, it's, uh, I I don't get to wear it too often. Uh, more often than not, it's, it's my Halloween costume, uh, (laughs) but just having it in the closet, uh, along with a long cassock that I got, uh, from a friend in England. I, I love that. But yeah, just getting a bunch of books on remainder and some Bibles and stuff as they were shutting down, it was sad. But it was also the best deals I'd ever found, <laughs> like on study Bibles and things. Yeah. I, yeah. I always loved walking in because it sort of felt like you were walking into a yard sale um, and a, like, not necessarily Lifeway, but just there, we had a Christian bookstore near us. I think it was called The Mustard Seed. And when you walked in, you'd be like, none of this stuff looks like it actually seems like it would fit together in any place except for maybe a thrift shop. Or, or like a really cool eccentric yard sale. So like, you know, the, these yeah. big paintings and, and then there was like, you know, uh, oh, all yeah. kinds of just unique things, you know, and clothing and t-shirts and records or, you know, CDs. Um, 
And yeah, it was always in, you know, and statues, you know, lots of cool little statues. Yeah. And Christian bookstores got kind of weird there towards the end yes. when there were like fewer and fewer books and more and more pictures, uh, paintings of, of Jesus and Ronald Reagan or Jesus with all the presidents that had died, you know, yeah. just weird and giant eagles. And, yes. You know, just it, it got a little weird yeah. there towards the end. Yeah. So maybe this is kind of like our tribute to the Christian bookstores. I know. For me, that was like it was also probably the first place that I went as a as a younger person that felt like, wow, there's like some really good art and artists in here that I like. That's the first ever uh, Cademan's Call album that I purchased was at a Christian bookstore, yeah. and I remember hearing this for the first time, thinking like, this is really good music. Um, and then I remember getting duped into some other things that was not really good music, but you could get duped into that anywhere. Um, <laughs> hey hey speaking as one who bought the vanilla ice cd mm. when it came oh, out yeah. and then promptly tried to return it <laughs> <laughs> after realizing that there was one song on there you might possibly want to listen to yes back in the days when you could actually return a cd at what was that that tower that would tower let you do records that. tower yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I too have been duped. All right, so yes. dumb. Sorry, another dumb question. These are for our older listeners. Uh, did you ever subscribe to any of those things where you could get ten CDs for the price of one, and then you have to buy one CD for the price of ten for the next like fourteen years? Yes, uh, many, many times. Yeah, same here. In college, yeah, I had a huge CD collection that got stolen a couple no. different times out of my car. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. But man, I I feel like I was uh, I was that that record club's worst nightmare. <laughs> I mean, my my dog was subscribed. My... <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Some people will just never know the goodness of some of the things that we've had a chance to experience. I know, mm. I know. It's, it's a whole new world out there. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing this interview with Tom Rainer. Tom, thank you so much for joining us on the Monday Morning Pastor. I really appreciate you having him with us today. Well, just think about what you do. You are there for pastors on Monday morning. You've been there for a decade. If I heard your introduction right just then, this is the beginning of your 10. And to think of all the pastors that you have encouraged and all the churches as a result that you have equipped, man, your your ministry is in eternity already. Uh, well, thank you so much, Tom. And it's been 10 seasons over the course of, I think we've been on it for six years now. So we're not quite at the 10-year mark, but the 10 seasons is is true. And I appreciate that. And that's why we started this because uh, similar, I feel like our hearts are very much in that space too of, man, we, I just appreciate pastors. I'm still, I'm a pastor. I've been in full-time ministry since uh, the year 2000 and, and uh, it's, it's a hard road. Uh, any job in leadership is a hard road right now, but, but pastors have definitely uh, felt that weight. So thank you for, for that. I, I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about yourself, Tom. Um, nothing very exciting. I'll just tell you the, 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 basically the lay of the land. Uh, I was born in Alabama, uh, during the time of 
racial unrest, civil rights. Um, it was it was a difficult time to be in a an area where I was. And so that shaped a lot of who I am, just basically to to see what really happened. And, uh, you know, some of the stories that you've heard are really true. And uh, I was I was in a small town that was right outside of Tuskegee, Selma, Montgomery. So I was in the midst and the heart of it. That was my upbringing. And then I had a fun time going to the University of Alabama and uh, graduating from there. And uh, then from there, I've been a lot of places. I was a son of a son of a son of a son of a banker. So I was a fourth generation banker mm. and thought that was the path I was going to go. But God had other plans. And to my knowledge, I'm the first person in vocational ministry in our family. We have a lot of them now, but I got something started and it continues to grow and go. Uh, from the business world and going to seminary, uh, first first things out of seminary were four churches, pastored four churches. Um after I left those four and took other vocations, I've been an interim pastor of, I can't remember if it's 10 or 11. I haven't read my bio in a long time. So it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a few of them. But from my fourth full-time church to uh, then to be dean of a seminary, uh, the world of academia was not the world that I thought I would be in uh, because I'm I'm practical-minded. And, and I, I envision theologians to be really smart, and I'm not really smart. And I, and I envision theologians to have a sobriety about them. I don't know if I've had a moment of sobriety in my life. <laughs> but I ended up there as dean of yeah. uh, graduate school. From there, I went to be CEO of what was then the largest uh, Christian resource company in the world, Lifeway. We had well over 5,000 employees, and so it was a big corporate responsibility. And then... Uh, Taking retirement, I don't even think you'd call it early retirement because I'm, I'm I'm old, so I guess you'd call it retirement. Uh, did my life dream, which was to have my own company. I'd done mm. this as side gigs for all of my life and then yes. uh, started Church Answers uh, as my full-time vocation. So from having over 5,000 employees at Lifeway to 31 <laughs> at mm. Church Answers has been quite a shift. But I'm 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 living God's life. It's just it is a dream for me, mm. and uh, work with my three sons who are all in vocational ministry. Uh, one of them is nearly full time with me, thirty-ish uh, hours. The other very part time. We just have the opportunity to be with them, and then my wife and I are co-owners of the company, so I, I walk side by side with her during these mm. times. So it's absolutely incredible. So that's where I've been. I've written a few books along the way. I think. Don't hold me to this, but I think the one that we're going to mention before this podcast is over, when the people pray, I think it was number 39. And so uh, don't hold me to that. I just finished 40 and 41. So That's I've awesome. Passed, I've passed the, four, the 40 books. Um, some of them have done well. Some of them have stunk. I mean, just, <laughs> it's, 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 it's just like a football jersey after four quarters. I mean, you want to get that thing off. It stunk so badly. Some of them did well, but... Uh, did not plan to be an author. There's, yeah. there's another story to that. We're not going to take time for it, but that's a little bit of my background. I'm married to Nellie Joe. We have been married 46 years in December. That's awesome. uh, we have three sons who did just what I did. They outmarried and they, uh, I, I love the fact that I have sons so I can have my daughters-in-law. I mean, yeah. my daughters-in-law are absolutely incredible. 11 grandchildren, one with the Lord now, and 10 that are just running around all over the place from ages 6 to 13. And so had seven of them at the house today. <laughs> oh, man. And in the, in the two and a half days they were here, we only had one go to the emergency room. That was 
really cool. You know, <laughs> only one went. He he uh, he got thrown by a first cousin and hit a table and busted his head open. So he had to go get that one sewn up or stapled up, whatever they call it. And uh, that I think that was last night. I think so. Maybe <laughs> but they're gone now, or else I wouldn't be doing this podcast with you because there'd be too much screaming. And uh, your your audio audience would not hear this at all. <laughs> I can only imagine a house full of seven grandkids. My my oldest son leaves for college in in uh, fifteen days or so. Right now, as right, you oh, know, wow. as, as we're recording, and I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, it's so. And, I, he's going to be a freshman. He's, he's going to be a freshman. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But it's funny. I I just in in my reflection over the last few weeks, I'm I'm really excited for him. He's he's a good kid. He's thinking education is what he wants. He wants to be a teacher. That's what he's thinking. Like his mom and his granddad and his uncle and all those the people who oh, are in education so world. Where's he going? He's going to Elizabethtown College, which is a small liberal arts school in like by Hershey, Pennsylvania. So he's super. He's about about an hour and a half from me. About yeah, hour half hour forty five minutes. But it's funny. I find myself. In that, like a couple of days ago, I just I was I was pretty weepy, just thinking, and it's not it, like tears of joy. I'm excited what the Lord's doing. I'm excited that this is what we've raised our kids for, but it's also like I, maybe I, I felt like myself grieving a bit of the change of the relationship, and just to realize that like life does not revolve around you know Delaware Avenue any longer, and now has a bigger circle. So yeah, it's it's. I was telling my wife, I was like, I can't wait to be a grandpa. I'm just like, I, she's like, you need to slow down. I'm like, I know you're right. I do. But I'm excited for those days too. Those um, are incredible days. And I wept when my first one went to college. Mm. Uh, I wept because my third one didn't get there quickly enough. Really, <laughs> I, was, I was ready for the emptiness. <laughs> so, I can was, imagine. He was, he, was, he was punctual, but, um, uh, you know, I was ready for the next stage of life. And of course, I insisted they find someone as quickly as possible and provide me grandchildren. It took them a while, but yeah, they got around to it. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, I'm glad the emergency room visit was good and the kids are healthy and safe, maybe with some more staples, but that's that's all good. That's part of the story. Oh, yeah, that's part of the story. So I appreciate and I've heard some of your bio before and some of your story, but I just appreciate the way it seems like you've had some very unique opportunities to serve the Lord in different stages and different seasons of life. Um, and I'm really curious, you know, right now you're serving in sort of a unique place with Church Answers. Um, and you, from what I understand, you sort of get a chance to help come alongside churches and help them understand their context, their culture, and really just have a deeper understanding of what, you know, where to move, what to do, and kind of thinking a little more strategically in that. But what trends, first of all, if that's correct, I hope it is. That's what I, that's what I've been picking up on. Very close. Very close. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about the trends that you're noticing right now in the churches in North America, or, and even just like other parts about church answers that'd be helpful for our audience. Well, let's talk about what we're seeing in North America, which may be a more of a global impact as well. Um, the, the whole thing with the pandemic was clarifying, there's been a lot written on the pandemic. I wrote a book in the midst of the pandemic. My publisher calls me up and says, can you write a book and predict what the church is going to look like on the other side of the pandemic? I said, I can write it. Doesn't mean it'll be right. But I can write it. And they said, I said, uh, what's the deadline? They said, can you do it in three weeks? So I, did. <laughs> I wrote it in 18 days. Oh uh, my gosh. The post quarantine church. It's a little book. So don't mm-hmm. let me overhype myself. 
But that was a clarifying moment of where we are. The pandemic did not cause where we are, but it exasperated it and exaggerated it to the point where what we are seeing are trends. We're, we're, we're seven to eight years out where we should have been or would have been had there not been a pandemic. And so now we're looking at culture that is, is either uh, neutral toward Christianity or adversarial to Christianity in that area. Uh, we're watching churches that uh, seem for the most part to all but forgotten evangelism, the Great Commission. Conversion growth is way down, way down in in, in the, uh, North America. Uh, we're seeing pastors where uh, 39% are trying to find a way out right now. They're, they're ready to quit. Uh, so we're, we're, we're seeing this difficult time. And here, here's what I see. It's what's going on here. We're in one of those turnings or phases in history, and we don't realize, and again, this is a bit of a presumptuous comment to say others don't realize it, and I do. That, I'm going to try to make that, that sound just quite as arrogant as that just sounded. But I, I think from our research perspective, we see that we're in a time that is truly historical for local churches, okay? And most church leaders and, and members do not realize the significant import of what we are going through and probably will for the next 10 years, roughly. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I would see the next 10 years to be some of the most difficult times in the lives of churches and, and church leaders, including pastors. That's not encouraging, but it is, a, it is an admonition that, hey, you are on a mission field like you've never been before. This is not a local church community. This is a mission field. And the missionary mindset has to take place with pastors more than ever, absolutely more than ever. So the trend that we're seeing, attendance frequency declining, that's a huge trend. We noticed yes. that almost a decade ago. Nobody listened to us until the pandemic came along and it, it, it clarified, oh my gosh, if we had 200 people come in every Sunday, and then all of a sudden 200 people come every other Sunday. Attendance has gone from 200 to 100, and mm -hmm. we haven't lost anybody. We still have the same pastoral responsibility. That's some of the angst that pastors feel right now. Their numbers typically are down, always exceptions, but their responsibility is not. They still have people there, but they're just not as frequent as they were. Certainly some have left. So the attendance frequency is an issue. The, the lack of conversion growth is an issue. The cultural shift that is more adversarial or what I call uh, missional than it has ever been is, 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 a, is a major shift. This, we're living in an era that could be considered one of the toughest times or it could be considered one of the greatest times of opportunity. And I think it's the latter. I'm an obnoxious optimist. And I think we're going to come through this and you're going to see a healthier church on the other side. Yeah. So talk to me about that. Cause I, I, I thank you for naming those. I, you're right. The attendance down conversion rates down. In fact, one of the, one of the things I'd love to pick your brain about later on is just, yeah, what does evangelism look like in the new world? Because I'm finding myself wrestling with that again, thinking, yeah, 10 years ago, you know, it's, it's a matter of doing, you know, this, this, or the other thing. And now it just feels like, with all those things that you've just talked about, it feels like that is even a more of a more of a challenge. But tell me about like what is giving you hope? You know, you mentioned you are an optimist, so you think this is a great opportunity. So what like what may happen or or what do you sense churches care? How can they respond in a hopeful way in this season? I think the harvest field is as white or ripe, whatever your translation is, than ever before. Mm. We have this perception that 
because there's an antagonism toward Christianity, that therefore there is not a receptive audience to the gospel, I am convinced that it is receptive as ever. And when I say I am convinced, we have data to indicate that the receptivity is high. We know that 85% of the people that we will invite to church will come if we go walk into the church building with them. I mean, just just think about that. We, you, you could go find the world if, if you want to call them pagans or hard on church or whatever you want to find, call them. And 85% will walk into a church building with you if you invite them in, and walk in the building with them. That is a receptivity. The biblical basis for this, Matthew, Matthew 9, uh, I'm just going to pick up at verse 36. When he yeah. saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. He didn't say worry about culture. He said, be obedient, get mm. into the field. And so <laughs> I don't want to Nike it because I don't want to use a secular, but it's, it's a, just just do it. And, and we do have some things that we're recommending to churches to help jumpstart their evangelism. But it's not rocket science. It is not that difficult. It's just biblical obedience. Yeah. Are there are there churches right now that you're that you're working with that they're they are just doing it. They're just getting it done. They're like, hey, man, the harvest is plentiful. Let's get out there. And what are well, some stories you're hearing? Well, you, you kind of figure I'm going to talk about my own sons. Let's do it, the, man. Uh, I have three sons who are in Christian ministry. One has a uh, company called Christian Money Solutions, and he's he's all about uh, increasing generosity in the lives of Christians and, and financial health. And I have two sons that are pastors, the oldest and the youngest. I am a member of both of their churches. One's in Florida, one's in Tennessee. You can imagine where I spend my time when. Um, typically a snowbird and I go to Florida and I'm a member there. I don't know if, if that's um, ecclesiologically or polity accepted, you know, to be a member of two churches, but they say it's fine <laughs> as long as I tithe to both of them. So I do that. And uh, just just the story of Sam who works with me at Church Answers and and what is happening in his neighborhood church. And a church that has been around for 60 years, white columns, looks like it should be dead by all stretch of the imagination. And they, 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 they're they reaching a culture that's their neighborhood. And it's mm -hmm. a multi-ethnic, multi-racial culture. And here's one of the things they started doing. This is just one example. They said, what would Jesus want us to do for our community? And the big need there, because there was a big opium epidemic that flowed through Southwest Florida, the big need was for foster families because so many kids were being left either with deceased parents or in prison fat, uh, parents or parents on the street. And so the foster movement was huge and still is. They said, you know what? If we love the children and we start fostering them, then we will see many people become followers of Christ. They did. Mm. And it has. And they have. And it has been impactful. Uh, Sam and Aaron, his wife, have fostered many kids one of them uh, was not able to be re reunited with uh, his mother, his single mother. So he is now our grandson. Uh, they adopted um, Dominic. He was just here. He is, boy, he gets into everything. He's, he's six or seven. He is all over the place. Um, it's, it's easy if we just ask, what can we do right now? Mm. Uh, and I'm happy to tell you how we're talking about churches jumpstarting and things like that. But basically, you will find a way to do this 
if you ask God to lead you to find a yeah. way to reach people, he was pretty clear. Get into the field. I'll take care of the harvest. Yeah. Just get in the field. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for that story, Tom. Cause my, my belief is very similar in the fact that a lot of times there are many pastors that are probably thinking, yeah, I know I need to get to evangelism, but like what program, you know, how do we do this? I think sometimes it is as simple as saying, Lord, open my eyes to see what you want me to see and help me to have the courage and boldness to respond in that way. And and I love that story of just noticing kids and saying, well, if we can love these kids, then we're going to see people come to know Jesus and we're going to be obedient in that. That's, that's beautiful. Um, yeah. So thank you for that. Um, what, yeah. So talking about your book, right? Pastors get beat up. Uh, they've been getting beat up since the beginning of time. I mean, it's, I think when you're a pastor, you kind of have a target on your back. And I think right now we're in a culture where even leadership wise, if you're a leader, you just have a target on your back. There's just a lot of distrust there. Um, but you wrote this book, When the People Pray, an invitation to intercede for your pastor and revive your church. And so, first of all, thank you for this. I was telling you earlier, I've I've seen books on for how pastors can pray and how church people can pray, but I've never seen a book on how the church people can pray for their pastor and their church. So I appreciate that from a pastor. Um, and I appreciate the honesty. For me, there's a chapter in here on anger that I thought I, I I'm so glad that you named the fact that pastors are people and that they get angry and to help pray and help support your pastor. Even when they're angry. I just, it just ministered to my heart. Um, but anyway, so tell us what's the story behind this book. My love of pastors, very simply, um, mm. I was a pastor. So I know the, the hurts and hopes and pains of a pastor. I have two pastor sons that I usually hear from all three sons every single day. I mean, I've already heard from all three sons today. So even though we live in Florida, Tennessee, North Carolina, I, we're, we're in constant contact with each other and listening to the heart of my sons. Uh, but Church Answers has magnified this love for pastors for me. I had it more, but now we have thousands, tens of thousands. As a matter of fact, this is, forgive the boastfulness of this number, two out of three Protestant churches every year get some type of resource from us free, mostly free, but you know, some of the paid resources. So we're hearing from multiple denominations, non-denominations. We're hearing from the body of Christ and particularly the pastor. And I, I know this, if the pastor continues to struggle and fail, therefore the churches will. And it is my heart that these pastors be encouraged. And there's no greater encouragement than going to God and asking him to take care of them rather than uh, that you, you cannot, you can encourage them verbally. And I have ways in the book that you can do that. But here, here's what I really hope for the book. I hope pastors will not have the timidity to go to their church church members and say, this is a 30-day book to pray for me. I need it. Will you do it? That's going to be the yeah. tough part for pastors to actually ask for prayer because they're supposed yeah. to be the givers, not the receivers. Boy, that's I, I feel like uh, that was going to be one of my questions. How, how would you encourage pastors to invite their congregations into that? And I, I think you're right. It's just a, will you be bold to say, hey, I walk with you. Can you walk with me in this way? Any other thoughts on that? Did I nail it? Or? I, was, I was, I was, yes, you nailed it. 
I was autobiographical. I can be autobiographical in this. My last full, my last church before I went to be dean of the seminary, I was struggling. I mean, I, I, I quite frankly can't imagine people listening to me preaching or serving under my pastoral leadership. I stunk. I mean, I was, I was, I was really bad. In fact, I wrote an article less than a year ago where I said, if you find any of those old cassettes of me preaching in my churches, please destroy them because <laughs> they're not good for the body of Christ. In my last church, I was really struggling. And as the sermon came to an end, I hope it was the spirit and I hope it wasn't the flesh. I put the Bible down. The sermon was over. And I said, folks, I'm just going to be vulnerable with you. I'm struggling right now. Huh. And I don't know what to do except to ask you to pray for me. I don't have specifics, but ask you to pray for me. And Francis Mason was one of the incredible prayer warriors in that church. And she ended up getting over 100 people to pray for me every day at noon, usually a minute, 30 seconds, wherever they were. And they committed to pray for just a brief moment for me, over 100 people for a few mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. So that to me just sealed it. I, I asked for prayer and I got it. Mm. Yeah. I, well, first of all, that's such a cool story and yay for Francis, because I, my sense is a lot of pastors even feel that tension of like, can I even tell people that I'm struggling, you know? And, and I think that's a lie that we're all tempted to believe of like, no, you have to have it all together and your sermons need to sound like this. You need to have that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think in, in all your years of ministry, like what, what were some of the hardest times that you faced? Well, let me just make a parenthetical comment. You know, when I do podcast interviews right now, one of the prefatory things that usually the interviewer says in all your years of ministry, everybody's recognizing how old I am now. <laughs> uh, I was waiting for you to, you know, they like, say experience or wisdom. No. Yeah. You're, oh. <laughs> so, Hey man, I mean, you're super old. Let, let me rephrase that. You're super old and you've been in, you've been at this game a heck of a lot longer. You got seven grandkids. No, but seriously, I mean, you, you've, you've pastored different churches, you've been in different settings. And like, what do you sense is, cause my, my sense is that there are pastors that may think you know, if I was only in this world, I wouldn't get beat up as much. And that might be true in some regards, but like, what is very unique to the hurt and the struggles that pastors face and that you faced in the years that you've been in ministry? We would call this in the army friendly fire, but it's not friendly. Mm. Uh, fr fr friendly fire refers to the fact that someone on the inside accidentally hit you. Well, these are not accidents that are taking place. Um, it would be about a month ago from when this podcast will be released. Uh, I wrote an article and it says, uh, I believe, seven ways that church members have hurt pastors deeply. And it went viral. And my guess is that it was a lot of pastors that were reading that. It's still, as of this recording, it is still just catching fire because it articulated some of the deepest hurts. And if I, you know, I want, I'm not prepared to read it off to you because I don't have it in front of me. But, but basically, I said, these are the things that when we ask pastors what hurt them the most, this is what they said. And if I recall correctly, number one on the list is when someone comes up to him and said, we're leaving the church because we're not getting fed. Yeah. And that, that is a multiple whammy. That is, that is, okay, we're leaving the church. I mean, think of the pain that someone, and it's usually someone you've loved, cared for and thought that was on your side. Uh, and then they come up to you and say, your preaching is not effective, which is essentially what you're not feeding me. 
Uh, I, I, knew, I knew one pastor that was bold enough to tell someone who was relatively inactive that the reason you're not getting fed is you don't come to the table enough. But most pastors don't have that opportunity to say that. Mm-hmm. But you, you've got the the hurt of someone leaving. You've got the hurt of your preaching being criticized. And you think that that's someone you, who loved you because you have demonstrated such love for them. That is that is one example. A, another example is just the fear of being pushed out. It is now so easy for pastors to be fired. And by easy, I mean it is more frequent than not and is more unwarranted than not because I've walked alongside these pastors. I have two sons that were fired from ministry. My two pastors were. My two sons who were pastors were. And I've walked alongside them and, and, you know, just seen from the family side of it. I'm not going to go into the stories of those, but you can obviously know where I feel in my perspective about it. But it is it is more and more common to just have your people on the inside be in an adversarial mode for you. But I, I think I can connect some dots here. Yeah. When a church gets less evangelistic, it gets more caustic intention tense on the inside. When a church is doing the Great Commission, they are not doing the whining, the complaining, and the self-serving. When they, when the members and the pastor are looking beyond themselves, you know, when you say you don't have time for evangelism, well, church member, you don't have time for a lot of other things, including nitpicking uh, pastors. So when a church when when a church begins to really be engaged in evangelism, and you notice I'm not talking about a program, I'm not talking about a yeah. methodology, but you can find out how. That's when it tends to be a more positive, God spirit filled culture, and that's when things get better, not perfect, but better. Yeah, I I think I think of the the people of Israel in Exodus, and it's so the minute we take our eyes off of what God has called us to, it's really easy to start complaining. It's really mm-hmm. simple to start recognizing like, Oh, well they have this and that. And most pastors I know coming out, you know, in the midst of the life after the the crisis of the pandemic are looking at churches that are essentially new churches. I mean, they've, whether it's turnover or, you know, the people have changed or even just the people who are sitting in the pews or who are the same people who are not as frequent in their attendance, they've changed greatly. And our cities that we're in, they've changed greatly. But it seems like the needs have become so much more heightened. And there seems to be an openness and an openness for people to hear and to be with others just from that, from that evangelistic perspective. Uh And it's, and it was interesting. I appreciated your story about you know, seeing something that is that is very oriented around kids and fostering, which which some people would say that's a very justice issue, which I agree. But what I appreciate is you also then look at that from an evangelistic point of view, where I feel like there's always been this conversation about mission. You know, you hear the term missional and people say, oh, well, that is justice oriented or that is evangelism oriented. But it sounds like what the Spirit of God is doing in a lot of these churches is sort of combining those two things together. Um, and you can't, uh, it, you can't be evangelistic without dispensing justice. You cannot yes. dispense justice without being evangelistic because ultimate justice comes from the God who forgave us that we yes. have to tell others about. So yes. they're inseparable biblically. But we've yes. done that before. We've had evangelism and social justice or social ministry separated. We've had lifestyle evangelism, proclamation evangelism. Those are false dichotomies. The, the, yes. the, the Bible, when you say which one, the Bible answers yes. 
that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, absolutely. Any way you want to get in the field, get in the field. Like, let's yes. go. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's a Monday morning. Pastors are waking up. They're listening to this, you know, they're hearing it. What's, what encouragement do you have them for them today? First thing that we find, we have an incredible community at Church Answers. We have thousands of pastors that I think it's the largest practical ministry community in the world for church mm-hmm. leaders. And, and they come together. And what they realize in this community is no matter what is happening to them, they're not alone. God is with them. Their family is with them. And now they know their peers are with them because they've been that, been down that path. Sometimes we can survive almost anything if we know somebody has walked where we are going because we can see them on the other side. So the encouragement I have is you're not alone. God's with you. Your family's with you. And pastors from all over the world are with you, even if they don't know you. The second thing is, is think about a fresh start. You know, go to a new church, but it may be exactly where you are right now. In mm. other words, maybe that you need to lead your church to be a new church. And that's the mm. field that you need to go to. And forgive me for this slight promotional, but I, I, I am so excited about an initiative that we released about 30 days ago, and it's in hundreds and hundreds of churches already. And I love the name of it is the Hope Initiative. And it's a jump start for churches to start looking into the field for 30 days and just to see what happens. Like this is a 30 day for your pastor. It's a yeah. 30 day to jump start evangelism and prayer in your church. So that jump start can be encouraging as well. So mm-hmm. forgive the promotion, but I wanted to talk about what some things are going on in the lives of church answer in the lives of our pastors. Thank you, Tom. And Tom, no, please do not apologize. There, there's no need for forgiveness. This is the Monday morning pastor. Our job is to encourage and equip pastors and you've nailed both of those things. So yeah, thank you so much. Uh, last question until we get to the lightning round, which I always get excited about, but are there, uh, is there anything that you're learning and wrestling with right now? Um, just that, that excites you that maybe stuff that we have not talked about at this point. Well, the one thing that we have talked about, we could expand upon. And the one thing that I have that we talked about is how receptive the field is. You're going to be convinced if you listen to any of the news media, whichever left or right, and you're going to be convinced if uh, you listen to people uh, in the polarized political world that we're in, that everybody is against us. The most encouraging thing that I know is that God is working in the field, and I'm seeing it more and more. Mm And it, it almost, I don't, want, I don't want to speak too hyperbolically, but it almost is beginning to feel like the first century where the Roman Empire is against us, but boy, the Roman roads have been built and we can start traveling down those and share the gospel of Christ. Mm. So I am optimistic. And again, I'm obnoxiously optimistic because I always think that God's going to win. I love that. All right. So lightning round, are you ready for this? I don't know. Okay. All right. I hope you are. Uh, (laughs) Coffee or tea? Coffee. Is Bigfoot real? Oh, yes. (laughs) Amazing grace or great is thy faithfulness? Uh, Amazing grace. Uh, One thing you wish everyone knew about being a follower of Jesus and leadership? It is total joy if you let it be. Mm. Oh, that's good. Uh, Best way to unwind after a long week? (laughs) You're talking to a guy that likes to work for relaxation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing well on a lightning round because I'm supposed to give you a quick answer. But uh, people say, what do you do in your off time? Oh, I work. 
Do you have a hobby? Yeah, I work. I work. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it's it here like, first, folks. <laughs> I relax by doing what I do the rest of the day. Well, no, family for me. Being family. around family is yeah. relaxing may not be the word, but it's yeah. <laughs> in a different direction. Uh, excellent. Uh, one person in church history that you would love to spend some time with? Virgin, maybe. Apostle mm. Paul, maybe, maybe uh, uh, further back. But uh, one person that I just got to spend one telephone conversation with in his lifetime is probably unknown to your audience. His name is Donald McGavern. And uh, he's so responsible for so much of the conversion growth that happened in North America. He's called the father of the church growth movement. And people think church growth and they think megachurch and superficial uh, methodologies. That was not the origin of the church growth mm. movement. He was a missionary in India, came to the United States and said, if we're not about the work of conversion, we're not doing the church. And so I had one conversation with him before he died, but I'd love to have an extended conversation with him. Oh, that's awesome. That And it's Donald McGavern? Donald A. McGavern. Thank you. And yeah, I'll put a lot of this stuff in the show notes, especially the answer about Bigfoot being real, because that's that's part of Bob and I's. Yeah, I just, I'm really glad you said that. Okay, two more questions. Are Sorry, I'm getting excited. he's not? No, he is real. I'm, I'm convinced. Um, <laughs> uh, one fad or trend that you would love to bring, bring back from the 70s, 80s, or 90s? Uh, worship that involves the congregational singing. Now, that's church. You are, you're at, you are asking any, any type of trend. Any right? type of trend, yep. Okay. We'll, we'll put that on the church side. Okay. Whether you are contemporary, hymnody, or whatever, I would love to have more congregational singing. My, my, my nearby neighbors are the Gettys. You ever heard of them? Yeah. Yeah. Kristen and Keith Getty. And <laughs> oh my Christ alone. And so they, they live right near me and they've influenced me a lot in that direction on the congregational, on the mm. congregational singing. A trend that I would like to bring back, man, I'd love to wear my bell bottoms again. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bell bottoms. That's a good one. Um, and have you ever sang the song friends are friends forever? Probably, but I'm not going to admit it on the show. <laughs> Would you be willing to sing a line right now? <laughs> well, friends are friends forever. Yes. Thank you. Who sang that first? Who sang that first? I mean, I, I'm guessing it was Michael W. Smith, right? Or was it Amy Grant? I think it was Michael W. Smith. And both of those live near me, too. I'll tell you what, I think we just need to invite folks from the Monday morning pastor listenership to come down and hang out at your house for a while. Franklin, Tennessee is country music, Christian music. We got, you yeah. know, we got them all around. Oh, that's awesome. Tom, thank you so much for being with us today and uh, blessings joy. to you, my friend. See you. you too.